Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Let's take a deep breath. We're going to be talking about the truth about brave leadership. And when we have problems, when we're struggling, we want that fix. And we think like, okay, this is great. Or we resonate. We read, you know, Brene Brown's amazing books of Dare to Lead. And it's like, oh, this sounds so great. And this is awesome. And it's research backed. And I want to talk about the truth of it because her research is incredible. It gives you a lens to see the world more clearly and to be able to really thrive in your life. And doing this work, it's an ass kicking people. It really is but it's worth it. (laughs) So stay with me. Don't be like, "Uh Oh, she said that I'm out. I want the easy road because we may think we want the easy, but then we have that struggle and that internal fight inside of us, right? The noise, it could be better. What's wrong? Why is this like this? When we settle, right? I've often written about the Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt movie that I saw sometime in the nineties that I just, it's one of my least favorite movies and it was called as good as it gets. And I remember just thinking, that's it. That's it. And at that time in my life, I was struggling with my own. Do I settle? Do I do this job where it's the golden handcuffs? It's security. So many people want it. I don't really want it, but it fits a lot of the check boxes. It's not too far from home. There were many things, right? I was well paid and it was as good as it gets. And so when we wrestle with that and we think like, okay, we're okay, we're lying to ourselves. And when we can step into brave leadership, it's hard, but really it's so worth it. It really is. And last week I was like, hmm, I don't know about this brave leadership stuff. It's kicking my butt. This is very, very difficult, right? And I was in the middle of a storm. And of course, it's going to be that way. And I can be here today with you with the confidence and the knowledge that it is worth it and who I've become and who my clients become as we go through this process. Totally worth it. One example I think about our kids who join the Aqua Monsters. And so, you know, it's 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 like magical. Parents are always kind of amazed because at the start of summer, their kid may not be a very good swimmer, or we have this little monster program, which is pre-swim team. So they don't know how to swim yet. And there's some resistance, maybe some anxiety. You know, we, we may have kids that are crying at the beginning and I don't stop them from continuing forward because I know that that is normal to have those nerves, to have that anxiety. It's really vulnerability. It's vulnerability, remember, is uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk. So you have these little kids who are coming in, not quite sure what's going on. They don't have control. They're in a weightless environment and 
they're not quite sure that they're going to live or die. They may not have the words for it, but their brain is set up. Our brains are all set up to keep us alive. And their brain's like, that's not safe to go into water because they're right. When they're four or five years old, it's not safe without the proper supervision and the proper curriculum. But once they do that and they continue to keep showing up and the parents are willing to be brave leaders and overcome the discomfort and the messiness of the initial resistance, what happens in eight weeks is magical. They have kids who are very comfortable, who walk in with tremendous presence and confidence, who are able to have trust with this, an adult in their life who's not their parent, listen to them and to be able to move their body in what's being asked of them. That is life-changing to be able to have that kind of confidence in yourself of, I did this. It was me as a four-year-old. And then to be able to swim 12 and a half to 25 yards by the end of the eight weeks, it's life-changing. And so my friend, that's a great metaphor for you to think about what is, when you think about in eight weeks, maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year of the brave leadership and the endpoint that you want to have, the result that you want to have to make it worth it to overcome your own inner resistance, right? And I call it brave leadership because it takes a lot of courage to lead, to lead yourself in your own life, to lead your families, those parents who trust me and the Aquamonsters with their children as their kids may be crying or have resistance takes huge courage to lead their children, right? For those of you in the workplaces, you're leading and it takes huge courage and courage sometimes about maybe raising your hand and asking a question of somebody who has a position that's higher than yours. The other day I was coaching a client and she's a nurse and she had asked a question of a doctor and that took tremendous courage and she had to overcome her own vulnerability to do that. That's still leadership because she was leading those around her that, Hey, it's okay to ask questions. This is how we learn and how we take care of our patients. So we are all leaders, right? And we have leadership. If you are a parent, you are a leader, right? We have leadership and sometimes you may not have the actual title that you're a leader, but you are a leader and look inside your life. And if anything, a leader of your own life. So today I'm going to talk about three things. The truth, it's an ass kicking and you will want to quit or you will think you're doing it wrong, which is like kind of quitting on yourself, right? And how we're so hard on ourselves. The other one I'm going to talk about is what you need to get through brave leadership. And then what are the results of brave leadership? Okay. So let's talk about the truth. I'm going to keep saying it. It's an ass kicking. Brene talks about this all the time, how hard it is and we fall down. I think we can get into this place of like romanticizing it. Like, okay, of course. Yeah, it's really hard. And then when we're in the middle of it going, um, this is really hard. And then we can get stuck in our own shame storms. There's something wrong with me. It shouldn't be this hard. And I know with my clients, I'm constantly reminding them that this is the process. This is where the growth happens. We are going to fall down. We are going to fail. The key is we want to make mistakes that we can bounce from, that we can learn from, right? So one of the things that as you go into the arena and you brave leadership in your life, knowing what is the risk, 
what is the area that you can't bounce from and pay attention to that. So what needs to be in place there? One of my favorite quotes is, it's actually a card. So one of my favorite companies is M and Friends. And she has this great line of empathy cards and I love to buy them. And so one of my favorite cards is this one that says, the women I love and admire for their strength and grace did not get that way because shit worked out. They got that way because shit went wrong and they handled it. They handled it in a thousand different ways on a thousand different days, but they handled it. Those women are my superheroes. That is one of my favorite cards. So think about that. Think about the women that you love and admire and their strength and their grace. We get strong because we go through difficult things. We don't get strong because life was easy for us. Think about it. I mean, the metaphor of like lifting weights, exercising, we get strong by pushing ourselves through difficult things and increasing our muscles, increasing our endurance, strengthening our heart. So <laughs> like I tell my Aquamonster parents, you never evaluate on the drop-off of swim practice. You always evaluate on the pickup because there's going to be the resistance. And also before that, get really clear on the reason why. So with the parents, often when their kid is concerned, you know, anxious, unsure about this whole situation, I say, why are you having them join swim team? And it often is they want to be a better swimmer. They want them to have more water safety. I'm like, okay, so do you like your reason why? And they do. And it's a really important reason right? It's not about, oh, I want my kid to be an Olympian or, you know, this is what a good parent does. It's about what are the skill sets that my child needs to learn so that they can be safer. And then from there, the next step is we always evaluate after practice, not before, because before there's resistance. I can tell you this, I was a collegiate, I was an athlete, I had a career for what, 15 years and a collegiate athlete. I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, yippee skippy. <laughs> I get to go work out and work really hard and have my, you know, be out of breath and have my heart rate at 190 or whatever it was, or I get to do five 200s fly. That was never something I was like, oh, this is great. I was like, oh, but I knew the goals that I wanted to achieve. And I knew that there was going to be a structure that I needed to go through that was uncomfortable, whether it was getting up at five in the morning to go to morning practice, whether it was doing hard sets, whether it was staying at college during Christmas break, winter break when all my college friends were gone, but the team was here training. I knew there were those things because, and I was willing to do them because of the goals that I wanted to achieve at the end. And that's how I got stronger. So the truth about brave leadership is it's uncomfortable. It sucks. <laughs> Embrace the suck, my friends. It's messy and you're going to make mistakes, but it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong, right? We can learn, we can pivot, we can tweak. And last week when I was mad about, you know, <laughs> dare to lead and the books and the readings and because I was frustrated because there was tension, right? I was in the middle of the mess. I didn't want it to be this hard. And I was like, ah, oh, we need to let people know that it is hard. So I'm kind of indulging in the heart because I want you to know. And there's so much beauty in this process because 
of who we become in the end. And unfortunately, we've been brainwashed to believe that if we do the right thing, you know, quote, right thing, we do it the right way, you follow the self-help book and you do the steps, it's all going to work out, right? You do the engaged feedback or Brene's rumble language. You're like, okay, I did it right. And then, but the other person, they lost it on me, right? And I'll have this all the time with my clients. This is what happens. You're going to fall down and you may need to circle back, right? But it's about us having the resilience to do that. And the brainwashing that we've had is that we just need to do it the right way, do the right thing, and we'll be rewarded. So we believe it's supposed to be easy. The stars will align, right? And if you're doing it the right way, you're going to get what you want. Sometimes getting what you want can take a day. But oftentimes for my clients, especially for the jobs that they want, it's anywhere from 12 to 18 months. I've seen it happen. I just recently had a client who got the title that she wanted, got the job that she wanted with a 40% increase in pay. It was about 11 months, right? And there are many steps along the way. So you can get what you want, but sometimes it's not transactional where it happens immediately. And that's that vulnerability of trusting when there aren't the answers that you are actually heading in the right path. So brave leadership is more than reading a leadership book and loving it. I can't tell you how often people will, you know, set it for a consult or I'll have companies that want me to come in and facilitate dare to lead trainings and somebody's read the book and they really love it. And it is great. Book is amazing. The research, amazing. The tools are amazing. The curriculum is amazing. It's all amazing, right? But it's more than just reading the book and going through a training. It's about actually applying it and living it in your life. And so that you see through the lens that Brene has unpacked for us through her decades of research. And it's about implementing it. And frankly, when we implement, we're going to screw it up. (laughs) I think about when I was learning, when I was on this thing of learning how to cook back in 2013, because I realized I would freak out in the kitchen and think things had to be done perfectly. And so I realized my lack of knowing and understanding in, in the kitchen was creating a whole parenting shitstorm. And so my friend Jimmy had come over, I had a series of different friends that were teaching me how to cook and they all had to be compassionate and kind and not judge me. And my friend Jimmy's just the, really one of the nicest guys. And he taught me how to make barbecue steaks, not just steaks, ribeye steaks, <laughs> which was all great. When he was here, we barbecued them. It turned out delightful. And so, you know, the next few days I go to the grocery store and I'm like, well, I know how to grill ribeye steaks. So I go and buy them. And I remember walking out to the grill, looking at them and going, this is a really expensive experiment. And I felt all that anxiety and that anxiousness and that vulnerability of like, I could be wasting a bunch of money and I can be wasting an animal. Like, this is not a good idea. Why did I do this? I should have started with hamburgers. And watching my brain freak out and I was had the meat in my hands on the way to the grill. And finally, I had to say, well, here we are. The meat is ready to go. The grill is ready. I'm going to cook this. The worst thing that can happen is we're going to eat really dry meat because I was never going to undercook it. I may overcook it, especially back then. And I said, well, I commit to not wasting money, not wasting the animal. If it's really dry, if it's really well, well, well done, 
that's just so be it. So I managed the risk of how could we bounce, right? I wasn't willing to undercook it where maybe we get sick or something, but I was willing to overcook it. But it's from that implementation from doing it. And then I continued to, I was like, wow, I did it actually. It was like, I think it was probably more medium well. It worked out. So for a long time, I was comfortable making ribeye steaks, but it took me time to practice. And it's about implementing it. Okay. And there's a difference between intellectual knowledge, right? Which is you read something and you're like, oh, and you can talk about it. The hard part is actually applying it. It's so much easier to be a talking head and to be a critic and to talk about something, but to actually go out there and live it, it's hard. And here's something that's really important. You may be a brave leader. And the biggest resistance that I have often from my clients about stepping into this arena with courage and leadership and really showing up for themselves and showing up in their life is the judgment of others. There's a lot of people that sit in the cheap seats. There's a lot of people that are going to tell you that you're wrong. And that's where it's hard. It is really hard. And you have to go back in and check with yourself. Are you living and leading with your values? Are you following through on the commitments that you've made, whether it's in the workplace with your family? People may not like it, right? Are you living within integrity? That takes a lot of courage and to really trust yourself. So this idea of intellectual knowledge and applied knowledge, right? So the applied knowledge is going out there and doing it and noticing the difference of when you get that feedback from the people in the cheap seats versus who are the people who've earned the right to give you feedback? Who are the people who are on your team who can say, Hey, Corinne, and give you some feedback, right? And say that was, you know, that worked out really well. Or I noticed this, these are people on your team. Okay. We learn from doing, not from creating a perfect plan that you never implement. And that's okay. If you're one of those people that's raising your hand, like, oh yeah, I like to create plans. And then I'm so exhausted. I don't ever want to implement it. I get it. We learn from doing. Back at when I used to teach beginning swimming to adults at the community college, one of the things that I got really clear about was in order to learn how to swim, you needed to be in the water. So there was this kind of pattern that would happen on the cold, wet, rainy days. People didn't want to get in the pool. And here's the thing, we were an indoor pool, but it's really not. I mean, for me, it's not so fun to get into a pool on a cold day. Like I would do it as an athlete, but now that I'm middle-aged, I'm not so eager. So they like to sit in the stands and they wanted to get their credit for being there. They're like, well, I can just watch and learn, right? We must be in the water practicing because that's how we learn. Yes, there's valuable, like I will ask athletes to watch, you know, races or the Olympics. I'll have them watch, but that's that extra layer. They're still in the water practicing. So we have to be in the arena practicing, and then we can add other layers of learning where it's more spectating, but it's the learning by doing. And then here's the thing. Applying the knowledge requires being vulnerable. And for me, vulnerability feels a lot like fear, like uncertainty, emotional exposure, risk. I don't like any of that because it's the fear of like not belonging, right? And that can put me into danger. And so according to Brene Brown's work and research, 
shame is the biggest barrier to vulnerability. And it's that we don't want to have that feeling of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Right. But here's the thing. Most of us are feeling shame throughout our days anyways. Right. And because shame is a master emotion, we're feeling it. 95% of the population can experience the feeling of shame. And that means that we're not a sociopath. So that's a good thing. So we're already feeling shame. It's already a part of our day-to-day living, maybe not every day, but it's already there. Maybe some people don't have an awareness, but it's already there. And we're not willing to be vulnerable because we're afraid of shame, but it's already there. The key is not to hide away from shame. The key is to be resilient towards it so that you can feel shame, understand it, unpack the stories and be able to move through it right? And an example of that is here we are in 2021, fall of 2021, where COVID's still around. And we realize that we can't go into lockdown like we did back in 2020. How are we going to be able to move about and live our lives knowing that we have COVID and we have these different variants? So that's the idea of shame resilience is that we will have shame, but we don't want to hide away from it. So why not? allow ourselves to be vulnerable because vulnerability is the pathway to what it is that you want in life, whether it's loving and connected relationships of place of belonging, doing meaningful work, your own authenticity, right? Vulnerability is that pathway, but the biggest barrier to it is shame and it stops us. But here's the thing. We all feel shame already. So it's not like it's a new thing that only happens more vulnerable. We feel shame already. One of my clients, she's a former college swimmer. She was a division one All-American and she's a few years ago was inducted in the Hall of Fame. But she gave this example because she allowed herself to become vulnerable. Like she grew up not asking questions and she's the nurse that I was talking about. She asked a doctor a question and she said that, you know, it's kind of, it was like, being nervous behind the block and feeling all of that and then getting up on the block and then diving in and being able to, she didn't say this, but it's really the flow state, right? Of what she had practiced all those years of swimming that allowed her to get moving, right? So as she stood in this arena and asking the doctor, there were some voices of, oh no, people are going to think I'm stupid or why is she asking that dumb question or she shouldn't be doing that. There were those voices, but then once she overcame her own vulnerability and stepped forward and asked it, she felt so much better. It was like diving into the pool and doing that race. So think about that in your life of when were you like, oh, I'm going to step into the arena. I don't really want to. I want to go hide away. But then you go out there and you get into that flow state and you're doing it. And you're like, wow, afterwards, like I did that. I didn't think I could, or I didn't want to. And I did it. Think about that. That is our steps of overcoming the vulnerability. And here's something that's really important for us all to remember. We, we get so stuck on, is this the right way? Am I normal? That's been asked of me all week. Great. Am I normal? I'm like, I have a whole client roster of everybody asking this question right? Or us all doing it this way. There is not a right way. There is not a right way. When I was in high school, I had this great coach who I still really respect and admire. The one thing that he did that I consider as a disservice is he really put out the information that 
his way of coaching was the only way we could swim fast. And when I went to college, it was a disservice because the volume of yardage that we did under him was not something that we did in our, my collegiate program. And so I had to overcome like, oh no, that's the only way to swim fast. And if I can't do that, then it's not possible for me, right? Going back into this all or nothing. And what I had to start to learn was there's a thousand different ways to swim fast and be open and willing to that and be willing to test things out. Now, it doesn't mean having the squirrel tendency of like, oh, here's the shiny object. Let's go do that today. Oh, here's the new shiny object. Let's go do that. Because you have to be able to develop enough skill sets to develop mastery, to develop, you know, to get enough data that is this working and what can be improved if it's not working and what's not working. So there is not a right way, but it's really important to stick to something, test it out, and there's multiple data points to look at and evaluate. Being brave in your life is hard, but my friend, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And for you, yes, it is possible. I had somebody say to me, Corinne, I was listening to your podcast and was like, well, that's possible for them, but it's not possible for me. Remember the show is that if this is pot, like I have the older shows I did the intro where it was like, the show represents the windows of possibility. If this is possible for them, what is possible for you? We don't want to compare ourselves and despair. We want to inspire ourselves and have the windows of possibility to look through and for us to move forward in our own life. All right. Number two, what you need for brave leadership. This is really important. Brene talks about brave leaders don't go alone. And that's absolutely true. We need strong support. I've had tremendous support over these past 18 months and definitely throughout my life. There have been key mentors, there have been coaches, there have been people in my life, family, friends who have helped me get through the things that I've gone through in my life. And yes, I'm a strong woman. And yes, I'm resilient and resourceful. And there's many days I just want to throw my hands up. But I had to have a strong support as well as a vision. So the first place for strong support, I really believe is you, you have to be your biggest supporter and maybe you can't always do it, but being a big supporter and the fact that you're not creating obstacles for yourself by how you talk to yourself, by beating yourself up, right? It's about talking to yourself the way you talk to somebody you love. And maybe you don't talk to your family that well, because we often don't. Maybe it's about talking to yourself the way that you treat somebody really well. Look at that in your life. It can even be how you talk to the grocery store clerk. If you're kind to them, talk to yourself that way. One of the things that really helped me was the way that I talk with my clients and being compassionate and empathetic with them is, was always my great reminder of going back and doing that with me. And here's the great news, you all is that it is a skill set that can be learned and developed and cultivated, right? I was really hard on myself. And I remember when people would say this to me, my mentors, Corinne, you're so hard on yourself. I didn't even understand what they're talking about. I'm like, no, I'm just really truthful. And this is really how it was, but I would beat myself up. It's really hard to rise when you're constantly beating yourself up, right? Versus looking at, okay, what am I doing well? What can I improve? What's the key learning? 
And it's about also owning your story. It's not sitting with bravado and going, oh my God, I'm just amazing. Like I laugh with myself all the time. I was, again, I was working with my Dare to Lead group and we were talking about the arena. I love to talk. It's so funny. I always love to talk about football. I don't love to talk about football, but I love to use the football metaphor for the arena. And one of the women in there, her husband's total, he's a Hall of Famer football player, collegiately, total stud. And I'm sitting here talking about football as the metaphor. And I'm just laughing with myself. I'm like, and I told them, I go, I don't really know anything about football. I just know that there's a quarterback and you're trying to get the football down and make a touchdown. Like that's what I know about football, but I own my story and love myself. I don't beat myself up and I go, Oh gosh, who am I to be talking about this? I'm a fraud. I love the football metaphor for the arena. It makes a lot of sense. And I know enough to be able to (laughs) explain what I'm thinking without having to go into details. Or I'll use cooking metaphors, right? And I'll be like, oh, they're different ingredients. And I just say, look, I'm not like a really, I'm not a cook. Like I, I, I'm not a good cook. I don't embrace that. I'm not this master chef, for, but for those of you, and then it helps people understand in the views and the lens that they see the world through. So owning your story and loving yourself, not pretending to be something you're not. I'm not like, oh, well, I'm this former athlete. So yes, I know all this stuff about other sports. I know very little about other sports <laughs> and I can laugh with myself, right? So talk to yourself with love and compassion. That does not mean you aren't accountable. That does not mean you're like, oh, I'm just amazing. And I'm so spectacular, right? It's not about that, but really talking yourself with love and compassion, encouragement. The next is for your strong support, know who is on your team. And sometimes The pain in that comes from the shedding of people who you thought were on your team, who over time, they start to show you who they really are, right? But know who is on your team. And one thing I have to say about this time period that's going on is people are really exhausted. I've been saying this now for a year and a half, but people, we're going back to being even more exhausted because we thought we'd be in a different place right now. And as we head into the fall and the Delta variants rising, the the rules that we are living by are all changing and people are exhausted. And there's a lot of really poor behavior that's happening. I'm hearing about it in the workplaces, right? We're just, or people are making decisions that are really painful to others. Okay. So one is letting go and shedding those people and knowing who are the people who are on your team, right? As well as knowing who are your haters. Those are not the people who are going to support you when you have brave leadership. Those are the people that are going to try to take you down. And this is the truth about brave leadership. When you step into an arena to be a brave leader, you will have people try to take you down. That is rooted in shame and scarcity of you can't have that. I don't want that for you. So I'm going to take you down instead of realizing that there's enough for all of us. So know who your haters are. Do not go to them for support, right? And when you do, you don't beat yourself up. You go, oh, lesson learned. This person slides over here. We're not a good fit. We want to surround ourselves with those who will give us a hand up. Pay attention. Who are the people that reach out, who support you, who weren't transactional? 
who know all of you (laughs) and love all of your messiness. I have a couple of really good friends who one was a mentor from college and I I haven't spoken to him in years. And we caught up this spring when I was going through some hard stuff. It was so good to talk with him. And, you know, I realized on my phone recently that on July 3rd, he texted me to check in to see how he's doing. And I never responded and I'll be following up, but he's going to love me anyways, right? He's a good friend, a good mentor. It's like a father figure in my life, even though I didn't respond right? Because he's going to, he knows that there were times I, what my capacity was limited because of what I was going through. I have another good friend who, oh my gosh, she is 100% on my support team. I am on hers. And she reached out to me and let me know she was available. And I hadn't gotten back to her. And so these are two people I'm definitely going to be connecting with, you know, in the future, as well as like, I have a friend who I love and adore, who's gone through tremendous loss. And over time, so when I would reach out to her, it was when we're dealing with time differences, she was dealing with her husband's health. She may not be able to pick up the phone, right? And I didn't need her to pick it up for me to know that I mattered, right? Because I didn't want to put, she had enough on her plate. I didn't want to put on the burden. That's the same thing that's happening with this mentor and this friend of mine, right? So know who the people are who will give you a hand up and who have the patience when you may not be able to respond. If you're in a relationship with someone who, if they call you and you don't call back immediately and they get really upset about that or think that you're not a good enough friend, my invitation to you is to really think about that friendship. So strong support. You're not supposed to go it alone. And you may have different support systems, support teams in different arenas, maybe in your personal life, in your marriage, right? In your family, your work environment. And I always think of that as, you know, if you're a parent of kids in different youth sports, like you go and if you go to the soccer field, you have your group of friends who maybe your support system there. And then you go to the swim team and then you have your friends that are your support system there. Maybe you're carpooling with each other, right? Or maybe when you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure that my kid's going to be okay because they got DQ'd. You have your support system there. Who's going to help talk you off the ledge? Because we all need talking off the ledge right? So know who your support systems are. And here's the thing. If you're in the shame spiral right now, cause you're like, Corinne, I'm all by myself. You have this podcast right now as your support system. You're not alone. Lots of people use it. You put this in your ears and you walk through, I've had people go through divorces, changing jobs where they will say that Corinne, you've walked with me through the really difficult times And then you allow that kind of help and support. And what starts to happen is you start to learn how to receive it from other people. My clients, they go through the shame storm too, because they're like, Corinne, you're my only support system. I go, great. We're practicing it here with me and you're going to cultivate and develop these skills. And then you're going to be able to add to that, right? Don't look at it as this is permanent. This is it. Look at it as practicing and developing these skill sets so that you can create more. Now, the next thing in what you need is vision. So remember when I talked about the little monster parents and, you know, the kids were crying and uncomfortable and didn't want to get in the water. And I would look at the parents and say, but why are you here? I didn't say, but why are you here? I would say, why are you here? Why did you sign your kid up? I want my kid to become good at swimming. Like I want them to be water safe. Okay. So 
these are the steps. It's going to be messy. It's like everything that I've been talking about. It's going to be hard. It's going to be messy. It's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to, like this one parent, we had to, his kid would get really anxious at swim meets. And so finally his wife banned him from coming to the meets in the morning until after warmups were done because his son had too much anxiety, right? Now his son's like thriving in swimming, loves it, has this total presence. This is many years later, actually, by the end of that summer, it was all fine. But initially, right? So one is that pay attention to what is your vision of what you want. And the other thing is Martin Luther King talks about, you don't need to see the whole staircase. You just need to take the next step, right? So maybe the vision is, I want my child to learn how to swim. I want them to be proficient in swimming because we sail, And you're like, okay, but I'm not quite sure how they get there. You just take the next step. You get them to the practice, right? And you may go, but I don't know if they're going to want to come back. You just get them to the practice. You ask to practice, ask them what worked well. What did you like? What did you not like? And then you don't talk about tomorrow until tomorrow, right? And you do the next step. So that's, again, the metaphor that you can use for something in your life. You don't need to see the whole staircase, you don't have to have it all planned out. We think we do, but then all of a sudden things happen and change. And so it's about having the agility, especially now more than ever, right? And so you take those steps and you're willing to pivot, but not pivot from a place of, oh, squirrel or oh, shiny object, right? But pivot in terms of what's working, what's not working. Okay. And allowing yourself the space to fall down. You're going to fall down Things are not going to go as planned. It's going to be messy. And you're like, oh, okay, what can I learn from this? It's constantly, what can I learn from this? Which is the growth mindset. So what you need is strong support yourself and people. It doesn't have to be many. It could be one, two, or three people, right? It can be different teams of people, but strong support and a vision of where you want to go. A friend of mine has three sons and one son is very strong-willed and he was very upset about something. And she said, my job is to make sure you're not a jerk. (laughs) My job isn't to make you happy. She has a vision of what she wants to do, right? And so there are boundaries and she loves him and cares about him. And the two of them get into there, but you know, and you can think, oh, wow. But like, she wants to make sure she manages the risk. She has, you know, sons who are privileged, right? And she holds on to that and goes, my, my, these white boys who have tremendous privilege, I don't want to have them go out into the world and just run over others. So she doesn't want him to be a jerk when he grows up. Right. And it's not about like, oh, he just needs to be happy right now and not to be accountable. And so she's really focusing on that vision because she wants him to be a person who, you know, acts in integrity, contributes to the world, right? Not just to be a taker. And that's something that's really important to her. So she has that vision, which allows her to be a brave leader as a mom and do hard stuff. So finally, we're going to talk about the results of brave leadership. You being you authentically totally scary. You're like, but Corinne, I don't want people to really see me because then what if they know? But remember, we own our whole story, right? We want people that know our strengths and our flaws and all of it and still love us. It'd be too hard if we only had people in our lives that only wanted the best of us or all of it. 
The results of brave leadership is pursuing work you want for yourself. Really, right? Making the kind of money you want to make. Remember my client who got a 40% raise, right? Earning income that supports you and your family. Feels so good to be proud of yourself, whether you're a kid that's learned how to swim and get across the pool, or you have your job, or you've, you know, accomplished something or you get promoted. Like, you're like, I did this, or hey, I put out these ideas to my company and we're starting to tread in that direction. Like, it feels really good doing work we enjoy. And when we do work we enjoy, there's always still going to be shit shows, right? We can live our most amazing life and there'll be shit shows everywhere. Like, this is not fairy tale town. In working with people we enjoy, again, it's not going to be all hunky-dory. We can't be in these little bubbles of just, you know, certain people, but being able to work with people, know who our people are, we have so much more clarity, right? And then for those of you that are leading others, creating a safe place for those you lead, whether it's your family, in your workplace, right, with your friends, creating that safe place, because that's really where true connection happens cultivating the relationships and the families you desire, having the relationships that you want, right? Really appreciating your life. Here's the result. One of the results about brave leadership, trusting yourself where you're like, yeah, I got this. It's like totally clear. You're not second guessing. You're like, yeah, I trust myself. It's not a hundred percent people. <laughs> right? Like let's not strive that we have to do this a plus, right? We're talking about B minus. <laughs> it's about, I trust myself. Sometimes you're going to have doubts in certain areas, but where you're like, I've really got this. That feels really cool. And then finally, something I learned from a client many, many years ago, the truth about brave leadership is you being your own best friend. So you get to live a life that you desire that feels great on the terms that you want, right? Doing work that you want. And there's messiness and difficulties and all of that. I'm not saying it's like, oh, you know, the promised land and blue drinks, but it feels really good. And you lift up your head one day and go, wow, this is my life. And my friend, it's totally worth it. All right. Until next time, I'm smelling big for you. Hey, If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know, what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that 
was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.